Tandem Nomads, episode 40. The actual process of being pregnant and giving birth is the same regardless of where you are in the world. But the way you choose to experience it is largely up to you and the way that you respond to your environment and to the things around you. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, where inspiring expat partners from around the world share with you how they turn the challenges of relocation into great opportunities. So are you following your partner abroad for his or her career? Then Tandem Nomads is the place for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Amel Deregi. Today, we are going to speak about birth abroad. And we know that this must be one of the biggest challenge for mothers who are away from their family, from their friends and from advice on how to give birth and how to take care of your newborn baby. So I really wanted to bring you some insight in this topic and I couldn't find a better person than Karen Wilmot. Karen, are you ready for the ride? Absolutely. I'm ready to go. Hey. Karen was born in South Africa. When she grew up, she followed the footsteps of her mom and became a midwife. Adding to that, her passion for traveling took her around the world. Her career has allowed her to work on a diamond mine in South Africa, in a village, in a small village in Mexico, in a military hospital in Saudi Arabia, and with the royal family of Oman. In Oman, she also established between 2009 and 2015 the first private community services supporting expat women during pregnancy and birth. It was seeing how valuable this service was, coupled with her desire to go traveling again, that gave her this amazing idea to go virtual. She decided to become a virtual midwife and build an interactive online platform providing personalized care, information and support for women who have limited or no access to quality parental advice and care. She offers both online support and VIP fly-in, fly-out service. Karen, how did you have this crazy idea of um, creating the virtual midwife? I think that it was very much as you said, you know, after working for several years in the Middle East and seeing what an impact I had specifically working with expats, providing a holistic approach and giving them the right information at the right time, what an impact it had on their pregnancy and birth experience. And then I also noticed in the last year or two um, how much or how many more of them were going online to find information. You know, very much they would go online. Very often they would go online before they even saw me. Mm. And very often I would end up doing damage control because so much of the information they were finding online was not always appropriate for them. So it was a combination of me wanting to reach more people and then also wanting to make sure that the right information was available in online in a format that was available to more people and that it was specifically geared towards expats because I understand the very unique needs of expats. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you brought out this like load of information that we have online and I would love to expand on it. But before, could you tell us actually what is a midwife? Well, the, the word midwife uh, means with woman. And um, it's different from a doctor in that we really do focus on um, care throughout pregnancy and we have various roles. We focus on the more low-risk, normal physiology of pregnancy and birth, whereas doctors and obstetricians are more focused on the pathophysiology or the high risk and the things that go wrong. Um, 
but as as midwives, we tend to just really, really support women and focus on the normal and making sure that they have a really supported, healthy pregnancy. Mid- midwives are one of the oldest jobs in the world, right? I mean, midwives have been there since centuries to t- to help mothers give birth. But is it something that was regulated through the time by the various countries in the world? Historically, it was the wise women of the villages and of the communities. Um, and very often midwives in, in, in the small villages and sort of like, you know, going back thousands of years were... Uh, very often women who didn't have children themselves and would go around helping other women give birth. But in the last 100 or 150 years, it has become more regulated and it is now a profession. Is it the same in every country or is there countries who do regulate it more than others? It's definitely very different in different countries and there's different licensing. You know, there's there's um, nurse midwives, they are just midwives and they are midwife practitioners mm-hmm. and they all have different licensing and different um, limitations on what it is they can do. Mm-hmm. But it depends on the country where they're trained and where they're working. But at the end of the day, regardless of where it is, generally midwives, as I said, you know, because the word means with women, our work and everything we do is about supporting women during pregnancy and birth. You have experienced mothers giving birth in various countries. What is, according to you, the major aspects that can differ from a country to another? Um, you know, that was an interesting question because what I always try and get through to moms that I work with, especially if they, they, you know, they come to me because they're really afraid because they're in a strange country, is that it, the actual process of being pregnant and giving birth is the same regardless of where you are in the world. You know, mm. it's it's exactly the same. But the way you choose to experience it is largely up to you and the way that you respond to your environment and to the things around you. And I really encourage women to take responsibility for their health, you know, not to rely on on the external factors, but to, because it's, it's such a personal thing, mm. you know, they are the ones who are pregnant and experiencing it. And then it's about finding the resources that are available and just doing a lot of research and, um, you know, whatever isn't available, making a plan because we do, there is so much more available because of technology. Yeah, you mean you know, like I'm talking to you from Indonesia, and you're in New York, you know. So I have clients all around the world because I'm able to support them online. Yeah, this is really, really great. But but I want to insist on the culture of factors. It's, it might help because when we live from a country to another, to really understand that some aspects are cultural and others not. So, which is there some examples that you can give us on cultural differences about birth? I think some of the cultural differences that I've seen is that, um, especially in countries that have a very high birth rate, mm. it's not seen as um, uh, such a special and amazing and beautiful, mm. you know, it's just like you're having a baby, you know, come in, you're a number, get over and done with it. And, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you want candles and, and soft lighting and music and everything. I mean, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and it's very much a cultural thing because, you know, in, in a very busy um, ward, it's possible that they sort of literally do, you know, there could be 30 or 40 births per day. So having somebody who was coming in and wanting soft lighting and, and whatnot would just seem absolutely crazy. And in a situation like that, then I would encourage 
um, whoever it is to to look and find a hospital or institution or birth center or an alternative way of birthing that is more supportive of what most women that I work with want, which is a, a to to make it a really special experience. Interesting, you know, because it, it really is a special experience, regardless of where you are, and you want everybody around you to be supportive of that. And I think one of the other big cultural differences I've I've noticed is. Um, Mums have experienced um, stillbirth or, or um, you know, any form of, of, of loss of a baby in a foreign mm. country. And that can sometimes be handled very insensitively mm. because of cultural differences. Because in some countries it is just seen as, you know, it, it's, um, it happens and yeah. get over it kind of. But is it, is it the surroundings that are different? Like is it like the support around the mother that it's different or is it also the perception of the mother with the loss of a baby that you think is different? I think it's a little bit of both. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both and, and sometimes the doctors, especially if they're in a very, very busy hospital, you know, don't have the time to provide that emotional support and expect it to be given by the family. So, um, you know, even just in the way that they deliver the news it would be like oh well you know mm-hmm. not said in a very sensitive way and um not offering any form of support or counseling and just being very factual about it and could you take us briefly through the steps of what a midwife does when as soon as you meet with a mom how do you support her um as i said you know it depends um on how the midwife is practicing. For me personally, when I was working in the Middle East, I was working independently and I was providing more support and education. So I would work with private clients providing workshops for couples mm-hmm. um, so that I could prepare them for birth and you know, give them all the information that was relevant to where we were living at the time. And I also offered prenatal yoga classes because I think that it's really important that moms are able to connect with their body and their baby and specifically with their instinct during pregnancy. And um, I would offer support during the birth, but more as a doula r- rather than a midwife. Um, a doula? And the What different- is a doula? <laughs> so um, a doula is a, is a Greek word that also refers to um, – being with women, but um, a doula, a traditional doula is not trained as a midwife. Like she's not able to deliver the baby. Mm -hmm. So she's providing more emotional support than anything. And because of where I was working in the Middle East and because I I was the first person to establish a private practice, um, the ministry were unable to allow me to work in various hospitals. They didn't have a private license the way I would have been able to work Mm -hmm. if I was in South Africa where I would be licensed as a private practitioner. Mm -hmm. So I was unable to go into different hospitals and deliver babies because of the medical legal aspects of, you know, you have to be employed by a hospital in order to work there. But I would still go in with my client because I'd established a relationship with them throughout the pregnancy. So I was able to go in more as a support person and just stay with them throughout the labor. They knew me, they trusted me, I knew what their wishes and desires were, and then I was able to help them and uphold those Mm -hmm. and support them emotionally through the labor and birth. And then I would continue to support them after the birth of the baby by visiting them several times, you know, in the first few weeks afterwards, just to help them get established with breastfeeding. And um, It must be so challenging for a mom, a new mom, 
the first weeks when we have no idea how to take care of a baby. And I, I must assume that if we don't have the family around us, it must be really challenging to do this alone and learn how to feed a baby, how to change him, how to wash him, how to, you know, when to breastfeed. Um, if we don't have the opportunity to have a midwife, how would you, you know, advise moms uh, to, to learn that when they live ab abroad? Well, you know, traditionally it would have been done with your family or within the community. Um, and what I'm seeing these days is is when there isn't any form of support around, then then really most moms turn online. Mm. You know, sometimes I would meet somebody um, after they'd had their baby because they didn't know about me. And they would say, wow, you know, I wish I'd known about you before. And I'd say, well, how did you manage and they'd say, oh, just, and I, I just watched YouTube videos <laughs> and I learned to breastfeed from YouTube, which is not always ideal. Um, and I think that that's another reason that I started the Virtual Midwife because I wanted to make sure that I could bring together the best uh, resources into one place mm -hmm. so that women who didn't have access to that, if they were going to go online, because that is where the first place people go, they're going to search for an app, they're going to search for a, a forum, a website, they're going to go on Facebook and find that um, assistance. Hmm. So it was, you know, that was what made me, gave me the idea. I thought, well, you know, there's, there's women who are stuck in remote parts of the world who just will not have access to this. And I can only be in one place at one time. Mm -hmm. But if I can provide a platform that brings to be together the best information yeah. um, in a way that it's accessible and, and easy to use. Could you tell us what are the things that you think mothers and parents, because it's also including the fathers, should be aware of and prepare for before giving birth? You know, I tend to focus um, a lot on, on working from the inside out rather than the outside in, because in our culture and in the 21st century, because we are always looking online and to, to books and to experts, we're always putting everything outside of ourselves. And pregnancy is something that is very personal. And, um, you know, th there's so much emphasis placed on the technology. You know, nothing about pregnancy has changed in millennia, mm -hmm. ever. But technology has changed and the amount of information that's available has changed. So what I'm seeing is that um, there's a lot of fear around pregnancy these days. Mm. You know, people don't want to announce it until 12 weeks. They don't want to announce it until they've had their first scan and the first blast. And instead of marking the pregnancy by all the usual things like, you know, watching your belly grow and noticing all the changes and everything, the pregnancy is marked by, you know, scans and tests and test results, which can very easily take away a lot of the joy out of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, so, so how can we I've, do, how can we do to, because fear is something very human and natural and I think, and especially if we're abroad and don't have the support around us to ask the questions, I guess, it's kind of natural. So how can we manage to not, to control that fear and not, you know, um, miss the moment? Um, by focusing more on learning what's right and what's normal rather than trying to learn about what's wrong and abnormal. Mm -hmm. Because if you know what's right and what's normal, then, you know, all those new sensations and emotions that they're feeling become, and if you know what, what causes them, then it makes it understandable. So it's a it's a 
process of, of, of learning the what's normal and a process of acceptance that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because also sometimes the internet and books and magazines portray pregnancy as just, you know, everybody looks absolutely gorgeous and that, mm-hmm. you know, your hair is golden and flowing <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and it's not always like, except it's not always like that, you know. So if, if you find yourself spending every morning sitting over the toilet bowl and, you know, you've got cramps and, and lower backache and, and everything's aching, then you think, well, that doesn't look like what I've seen and, and, and there must be something wrong. Mm, yeah. But it's, it's, it's such a normal part of pregnancy. Um, and and it, it's, just, it's just one of the stages. You soon move through that. Yeah. But, you know, we've been insisting so far a lot on the inf- importance to find, first of all, to find the right information. Second, to, to choose the, the solutions that work for us. And that might help to not, you know, get caught up in the fear. But there is so much information out there. So how can we know what's the norm, what's the normal, what's the thing that fits to my needs? How can we make sure that we don't get overwhelmed with all this information online? Because I find it very overwhelming. And how can we know what's the right information for us? I think it's about learning to trust your instinct and finding information that really resonates with you. You know, um, because when you're first looking, you will go and there's there's so much that there's the, there's the radical there's there's the radical pro home birth no intervention absolutely stay away from doctors, stay away from hospitals. And then there's the complete other side where go straight to the hospital, have a C-section, have an epidural, have all the drugs. (laughs) And it's about finding the middle ground and also seeing where you are. But at the end of the day, it's about researching everything, you know, um, bring it back down to the basics Mm -hmm. and, and research everything step by step. And ultimately you want to find one or two or three either websites or people or groups that really resonate with what your beliefs are mm-hmm. um, and stick to that yeah. so, so that you're not going from one to the other and going from the radical C-section side to the radical home birth side. And you know, you've got to find your middle ground that's and, a, and what, it, what it is that you believe in. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very, I'm trying to break down what you just said. And um, I like the fact that you said we have to somehow listen to our instinct, first of all, Absolutely. and then use our instinct to choose very quickly just a few sources of information, the f- like which w- couple websites, but also in the real world, um, match with other people, find like-minded people, but also groups of support. If we don't have our family abroad, we might find other expats around who have the same, you know, who are also also alone and and need that support so um and there must be also other mothers who are already experienced and experienced giving birth in that country so it might be very good to very quickly try to find those groups where there are other mothers who can support each other well that's one of the things that i offer on um the virtual midwife platform mm-hmm. is a weekly online group video conferencing session so we can all see each other and, you know, we get together and we chat and, and I do have a 12-week program where I cover things that are not necessarily part of the traditional cookie cutter um, information because although I do offer that in the packages, the stuff that we talk about is the stuff that you wouldn't find online. It's an opportunity to talk about how to apply the thing, the cookie cutter information to real life and how it applies in the different countries and hearing the experiences, you know, at any given time I could have a group of women from Canada, 
the Middle East, um, Indonesia, and Asia. And each one of them will be able to to share the experience that they're having in their country. And very often surprising to see that it's actually not that different. Or if it is different, um, there's still similarities and how it makes it easier for them to navigate them. Mm. So it's very much about creating a community and allowing them to just share and realize that they're not alone. Yeah, very important. I think that's, I guess, the, the mental support is more important than than like the technical aspect of giving birth, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, as you say, um, the ability to connect with instinct, because it's something that, you know, in the 21st century, we don't place much emphasis on instinct or intuition because there's so much technology. Mm. Um, but the fact is that we all still have instinct and it's even more heightened during pregnancy. Um, and for me, what I want to get all the moms I work with back to is trusting their instinct so that during pregnancy um, and learning to use it more and more so that they're able to balance their in instincts and intuition with all the external information that they're receiving yeah. to help to guide them to make the right decisions and choices for them. Because it's very unfortunate that generally the systems, the way they are at the moment and, and the very sort of um, the, the very medicalized hospital system tends to to treat women um, as if they don't know anything and they don't know what to do mm. and to tell them what to do during pregnancy. So a woman are constantly giving away their power oh. and expecting the doctors, you know, oh, I'll just go to the doctor and he'll tell me what to do or she'll tell me what to do and I'll do this test and whatever. But the instinct will be telling them what's actually right. Mm. And, you know, it's all very well in pregnancy because – there is somebody to tell you what to do, but as soon as you've had the baby and you go home, then all of a sudden everybody expects you to just know what to do because, well, you're a mother and, you know, it's supposed to be instinct. But nobody during pregnancy has supported your instinct or supported your, your natural ability to know what's right for you. They've just told you what's not right and what you should be doing. Yeah. So I'm trying to encourage moms to trust the instinct throughout because – it's definitely heightened during pregnancy in preparation for those first few weeks with your new baby. Mm -hmm. And I want moms to be able to trust the instinct because it's always right. You know, it will, it will guide them to know what is right for them with, to do with their baby in those first few weeks. You definitely want reassurance. You definitely want guidance. But at the end of the day, you know, if you trust your instinct, you're always going to get it right. Cool. I love that you brought up because I really want to talk about that, how medicalized the process of giving birth has become through the years and that we have a tendency to forget listening to our instincts and motherhood is an instinct thing uh, I mean, absolutely and and if we take away the, our instincts then we might take away a part of our ability to be mother yes absolutely and i think in many ways we, we, we we're doing that mm -hmm. and i'm trying to restore that normality and and that that sense of of mom's knowing because you know what i see is is mom's being being stripped of that because they're told, oh, you're not allowed to do this and you can't do that and you must do this and you must do that, just as opposed to supporting them and what they really know is right for them. It's one thing that I was thinking about while we're talking about instinct is also the fact that mm, during you know pregnancy and once we give birth, there's so much hormones going on in there that can actually mess up our emotions. So how do we just 
extinguish our instinct from our emotions and how do you also deal with that roller coaster of emotions that we have uh, to deal with during pregnancy and, and after birth? Um, well, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's normal to be super emotional and a lot of the emotions that you experience in pregnancy are due to the, 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 the hormones and the specific one being oxytocin. Um, you know, but, but oxytocin helps and supports with the bonding of the baby and plays such an important role during and after birth. So um, it's, it's just about enjoying that um, and, and learning to trust it. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 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 it's part of pregnancy, especially, you know, the first, the first trimester is generally very, very emotional. And then second trimester sort of things settle down and then it's, you know, they're really, really happy. And then third trimester things change as, as body starts gearing up and getting ready for birth and, and changing, you know, that transition to motherhood. How, how can we make that choice? You know, if we want to have birth with a doctor and if we do, how do we choose like with whom we give birth? And if it's a doctor, what kind of doctor, how can we listen to our instinct, but also make some, you know, practical decisions about this? This is a huge decision, how we want to give birth. It is a huge decision. And I think it's one that has to be made um, throughout pregnancy and will probably change quite a lot in terms of choosing the doctor it's got to be, there has to be um, an emotional connection of sorts. You know, just the same as when we meet people, sometimes you connect with them and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important that you connect with the person who you choose is going to be with you at one of the most intimate and vulnerable and memorable times of your life. And you need to make sure that the doctor you choose um, supports and believes in, in everything that you want for your birth. Mm. And you may not know what you want for your birth, but that's your job to find out during pregnancy. Yeah. You know? So if, what I often see is, is moms start off like saying, oh, yeah, I just really, really want a C-section. And the more, they, the more they learn, the more they read, the more they chat to other people, they think, oh, well, let me just, you know, look a little bit more into, into natural birth and what that's all about. And, you know, to, to research everything until you find what works for you and what's right for you. You know, I, I obviously as a midwife, I'm a total supporter of natural birth wherever possible and as little intervention as possible. But I also support women's choice. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are some women who choose to have a C-section. And if that's their choice, and if I feel that I've given them all the information and given them both sides of the story and they still choose to do that, then that's their choice. Especially when we give birth abroad, I, I've noticed that there are three possibilities most of the time. Some moms decide to go back home to give birth. Others decide to stay in the country where they are to give birth. And the third option, sometimes they even go to a third country that's close to where we live to give birth. So is there any guidance you can give us in that way? I would say it depends on what country they're in. I think the, um, and I've seen all three options you know, of, of what people decide to do. And sometimes it's got to do more with, with uh, passport than actually the facilities that are available. And the choice is usually around the facilities that are available. What I would say is if, if they choose to stay in the country where they are living, which is not their home country, the good thing about it is that they really take a lot of time and make a lot of efforts to ensure that the, the facility and the people that they choose to be with them are exactly what they're looking for. So they're very informed and educated and they usually have a good experience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes 
people who choose to go back home because they're comfortable there and, you know, their friends have had good experiences and whatever. And then they don't do as much research. They don't get as informed. They don't, you know, they just take it for granted that because they're going back to their home country, it's going to be fantastic. Mm. And I think that these days, it doesn't matter where you have your baby, you have to be researched and informed and really know exactly what it is you want and make sure that you've got the people around you who will support your choices because the hospital will and and as somebody who doesn't know you and, and if you don't make your wishes and choices known they will not necessarily support them you know and then you come out thinking oh well I thought that because I was going to the best hospital in the world that I would just have a fantastic birth then I just left it up to them but you arrived there on the busiest day of the year and there were six other women giving birth and you were just another number yeah I love the fact that the whole time we were discussing I think your biggest message is the importance to take responsibility for our choices and not let other people make those choices for us. Being a doctor or being our surroundings or being the cultural environment where we are, but the importance of getting to know what we want. Absolutely, because, you know, it's as important as your wedding day and it's the equivalent of, um, you know, if you were planning your wedding day, mm -hmm. getting a wedding plan and saying, well, you know, I'm not quite sure which flowers I want, so you just choose your favorite ones <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, I'm not sure about the venue either, but where was the last best wedding you had? Let's mm. just go there. You know, and handing over all those choices to the wedding planner because they're the, supposedly the experts and they know these things. Mm -hmm. And then you get there and they've chosen your worst flower. It's an awful venue <laughs> and the weather's terrible. And then who are you going to blame, yourself or the wedding planner? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great metaphor, <laughs> but that's for sure. But taking responsibility for sure is a huge, I mean, it's a huge step already to motherhood because it's going to be a lifelong responsibility for sure, <laughs> not just for the birth well, itself. Well, I think that's why it's so important to... Yeah. to You know, to find the information and, and to know what it is that, that you want and to trust your instinct because instinct will be the biggest part of motherhood. Yeah. But it's only around about three or four months that moms start trusting their instincts if they haven't trusted it before and realizing, wow, actually, I do know how to do this. Yeah. And so, what I'd really like is for moms to trust it from day one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let me... Talk now about the father, because, <laughs> you know, giving birth includes two people and making a baby includes two people. And sometimes we have a tendency to forget that there is a father around. And I also realize that some mothers want the father to be in, included, but in certain cases, they don't even let them because they're like, their instinct, protection instinct is also sometimes even goes against the father itself who doesn't have much space to to play his role so how can we help fathers help mothers i think the biggest thing is to include them in all the preparation because they they very often um make out like they don't want to be part of it but they really do just in my experience because i used to offer um you know workshops for couples well i still do um And it was really funny because I'd always see them coming in and, you know, the men would sort of drag their heels in behind and, you know, they're just really not keen They <laughs> in the morning. And, and I'd have to really um, – and I, I would focus all my attention on them. The first session was entirely about the men and I would make sure that I found out from them in the beginning what it was that they wanted to get out of it. And they all wanted to know how best to support their wives. And at the end of the weekend workshop – It was the men who I got the best feedback from. It was the men who were the most interactive. And once they know that um, they're part of it and they're a very important part and they've got a huge role to play, 
then they really do step up to it. But um, it's about just acknowledging their role yeah. and, and, and showing moms how to make them part of it and realize that they, the two of them really are working as a team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And <clears throat> so before we say goodbye, I was wondering if you had some like practical tips, although giving birth, we just talked about it for like a few minutes now that it's a lot about instincts, research, taking responsibility and not, you know, uh, letting the fear take away uh, when we make our decisions, you know, but is there some practical tip you can give us to prepare uh, for when we when we're pregnant and we get ready to, to give birth? What are the things you're teaching them? What are the, the areas that we have to learn about? I focus on two things. So I focus on the traditional information and what I call the cookie cutter information, which is, is, the, is the, the basic information about learning the changes that take place in your body in pregnancy, what tests to go for, you know, um, dietary advice and, and how to look after yourself during pregnancy. And then I'll take it one step deeper and um, take it a little bit broader where we're working more of, a, more of a holistic approach where you're engaging body and mind and breath so that to make it a little bit easier to connect to your instinct by working from the inside out as opposed to outside in, if that makes sense. It, it does make sense. I'm just trying to get a bit more like hands-on. For example, let me give you an example. Uh, one of the challenges I see, for example, when women are pregnant is dietary, like you mentioned. And there's like so many contradictory information. And I heard in certain countries, you know, we say, oh, you should not eat any salad or you should not eat that, you should not eat that. And then in other countries, it's like, come, you can eat whatever you want, you know. Or like vaccines, how when should we, you know, give vaccines to our child? Should we? Should should we not? I mean, I know that we have to listen to our instincts, but and at some at some point we do have to make a decision. So, is there something, some guidance you can give us besides the instinct to help us make that decision? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to be a little bit generic because yeah. I think, especially when it comes to things like um, because you brought it up, vaccines. <laughs> You know, that's an incredibly controversial subject. Yeah. And it's, there's always going to be two sides of the argument. And, and you've got to do your research. It's one of the decisions that, as a parent, you're going to have to make mm -hmm. about your children. And, you know, when it comes to vaccines, vaccines sort of start at birth and they go through your childhood years. So I don't make decisions. I will guide people to the right resources mm -hmm. to to do their own research. But at the end of the day, as a parent, that's a decision that they have to make. And it's one of many decisions they will have to make as a parent. And that's part of taking responsibility. Yeah. In terms of diet, I, once again, I work individually with people because it does depend on the country they, they, they come from, mm -hmm. you know, as to what they believe in. Um, and, you know, there are very clear guidelines of foods that should be avoided. Um, but there's also a lot of, of myths and there's a lot of cultural food. Mm -hmm. Could you things. give us some myths, for example? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, in the Middle East, I had a lot of um, Indian clients. So you know, people say generally don't eat spicy food when you're breastfeeding and um, avoid spicy food when you're pregnant. But the fact is that the Indian clients I work with, they live on spicy food. Mm -hmm. And they don't change their diet during pregnancy and it doesn't affect their pregnancy at all. And most of them don't change their diet during breastfeeding and it doesn't affect 
they're breastfeeding at all because they're culturally used to it. That's their diet. It's what their body is accustomed to. It was the same when I was working in Mexico. You know, during breastfeeding, we advise moms not to eat too many beans and lentils and gas-forming foods, and yet that's the staple diet Mm -hmm. in Mexico. And I saw firsthand how, how moms there continue to eat beans just every day, and it did not affect their milk supply or their babies. It didn't change, you know, the gas or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so what so, are the things you believe that we should not eat during pregnancy? It would just be um, the uh, aged and you know, smelly cheeses and raw eggs and certain fish. And that would be, a, that would be it pretty much. You know, you're not going to eat sushi. You're not going to eat raw fish. So anything that can actually just create a digestive issue, even if we're not pregnant. Yes. So it simplifies things. Here we go. <laughs> it does simplify things. You know, the important thing is to have a healthy diet, mm-hmm. to not make radical changes and to continue eating what you were always eating that maintained your health. Mm. It shouldn't change now that you're pregnant. Yeah. And once we We give birth. I mean, is there any advice you can give in that way? Dietary advice? Yeah. The same thing because, you know, if you're going to be breastfeeding, you've got to really, really support your body to be able to um, to, to maintain and the supply of breast milk, mm-hmm. which requires at least an additional 800 calories per day. So um, you want to be having a really healthy diet and eating at least three meals a day and eating at least three snacks a day to support your body while it's feeding your baby. What about the sleep? Because I can see, like, uh, the, I'm not a mother, but I have so many great friends who are mothers. And these are the issues that I hear a lot about. Like, one of the first thing is the diet. And first thing is how to give birth and how to eat and which vaccines. But also how to manage the... Uh, when, I mean, mothers and parents in general are deprived of sleep for at least a year. If it, <laughs> so how do you, I mean, sleep is one of, for me, one of the biggest issue of giving birth is like, because you need energy to take care of a baby. And that's exactly what a baby takes away from you, especially when you can't sleep. So how would you advise mothers and fathers to manage that? deprivation of sleep well you know i've been doing this for a very long time so i really have seen how things have changed in the last decade (laughs) um and how we've tried especially lately to try and control babies and fit them into our lifestyle uh and change their sleeping habits but the fact is that newborn babies are wired to feed frequently and to wake up for feeding frequently Mm. And, um, you know, it's part of the journey into motherhood. And rather than trying to force them into our lifestyle, I get the best results from mums who just go with the flow and and watch and learn from their baby Mm -hmm. and allow their baby to set the pace. Because as their needs change and as they grow, then those spaces of waking up for feeds get longer. And it's not very long before they do have five or six hours of uninterrupted sleep at night. And no, it's not like what we used to, you know, a nice good eight or nine hour full night sleep. Mm. But it's not forever. As you said, it's the first year. But to try and force our babies into um, adult sleeping patterns, personally, I believe is unnatural. And, And once again, you know, that's a decision that you need to make as a parent. And depending on your parenting style and, and, and your lifestyle, different parents will choose to do different things. And, and very often they will work for, for those parents. And, and I don't subscribe to all of them. 
you know, like I said, I've been doing it for a long time and I know what works for me and what I believe in, what I see works best and makes for the happiest babies and mums. Mm. And for me, it's about following nature's pattern. And generally, if you do that and allow it, it will all settle and be expected. Mm. But different babies, in fact, it's interesting because I read a research paper today saying that actually it's a genetic disposition that dictates how well babies sleep at night rather than your parenting style or what it is that you do. But it's important not to get too, too stressed about it or think that, you know, because your baby's not sleeping through the night, there's something wrong. Because if your baby is happy and content most of the day, that's the most important thing. We have to stick to the basics. We want a happy, content baby. We want a happy, content mom. So tell us about you now and how do you bring support virtually to parents? Well, through the... Um, I, I offer group support and I offer personal support. So... Um, <clears throat> I have a, like I said, the program where I have offer weekly sessions and people just tune in at a certain time and we cover various topics and it's a, an opportunity for our questions and answers. And then those sessions are recorded and anybody who has access to that membership program can either attend the sessions or if you miss the session, you can go in and watch the recording later on. Um, so there's quite a library of resources of previous sessions. And then I also offer personal one-on-one -on -one support um, if people are wanting something a little bit more tailored to their specific needs and where they are. Mm -hmm. And then that would be working with the with a mum individually and then to, also together with her and her husband. Um, and I do that either virtually via Skype or some people prefer to actually um, work with me via Skype and then towards the end of the pregnancy when the baby's due, then I do what I call a fly-in, fly-out package. So I arrive two weeks before the baby is due and usually stay either with them in their home or somewhere very close so that I can do some really intensive birth preparation with them in the weeks leading up to the birth. And then I would be with them actually for the birth as a more of a support. So whatever they'd chosen to have a hospital birth or a home birth or a midwife birth, I would be um, the emotional support and just supporting all the decisions and choices that they'd made. And then I would spend two weeks with them after the birth of the baby. And that would usually be with them in the home so that I'm available pretty much 24 hours a day, six days a week to help mom establish breastfeeding, make sure that she is getting a diet that's supporting the changing needs after birth, um, you know, helping her to, 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 with the baby so that she can get enough sleep and just reassuring her that everything she's doing is right so that by the time I leave, You know, she feels really confident to make decisions herself, knows what to look for, um, knows what questions to ask, and, and is really in a place of, of trust. So it, I don't do everything for her. I'm kind of just there teaching and guiding and reassuring and um, putting everything in place. This must be very relieving, honestly, when I think about it, because I cannot, I never thought about it before, but I mean, it's already quite challenging to give birth and it's a whole like new experience and changing life experience. And if we get a, we, we live abroad, it must be even more difficult, like we said at the beginning, because we don't have that support system and having this uh, concept of virtual midwife and the fact that you can also fly in, I think it must be a great support for moms who, who do not have that the support around them yeah and i think you know the big thing that the value lies in in the um in the relationship that you develop over the pregnancy hmm. because it's so much about trust and and when you find someone that you trust it just makes all the difference in the world
Definitely. It really does. Definitely. So how can you find you, Karen? Well, my website is called um, thevirtualmidwife.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'll also give you a link to my ebook, which is, uh, you know, just 10 very, very simple tips that I wrote um, for expats who find themselves pregnant and giving birth in a foreign country. And just a few things to consider, which is very much what we talked about today. Yeah. But um, just as a reminder, and all the details on my website of, of, of the different packages that I have available and how they can contact me. Wonderful. So Nomad Nation, please check out Karen's website, thevirtualmidwife.com. And I'll put all these information on the show note page of this episode on tandemnomads.com. So Karen, thank you so much. This was really, really um, interesting. And, and you brought up a lot of great insights here. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Nomad Nation, don't miss any of the great inspiration, tips and insights that will prepare just for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter.